evening's reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Amen. Thank you, Elizabeth. Um, look, while I'm fiddling around up here trying to get my papers in order, why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them one of two things. An amazing recent answer to prayer, or the second thing you can tell them is something that you are desperately praying for. Quick, go, you've got 30 seconds. <laughs> 15 seconds Okay, I think I'm going to have to stop you there, wherever you're at. I hope that was encouraging in some way, and uh, if not, um, well, listen up. Okay, so prayer. Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm Mark. I'm part of the team here. Sorry about that. Um, I always need to adjust the height of the lectern up a bit. Um, so yeah, I'm one of the team here, and tonight's topic is prayer, if you haven't uh, noticed that. How is it going for you? Are you a mighty warrior in prayer, receiving daily answers to prayer? Or are you struggling, frankly, and uh, perhaps just seeing many unanswered prayers? Well, if you're struggling, then actually you're in very good company, because in a, a recent Ellis research survey in the US, I might add, uh, the, the survey found that just 16% of clergymen, 16% of clergymen were very satisfied with their prayer life. 47% said they were somewhat satisfied. But then a whole 30% said they were dissatisfied and 7% of clergymen and women said they were very dissatisfied. So you're in good company and the reason Jesus tells this parable is because we are all 
uh, in good company in the sense of he teaches this parable firstly so that we might know that prayer is hard and there is a tendency for us to give up. It says that there. He told them this so they should always pray and not give up because the tendency is for us to give up. Okay, so that's the first thing before we get started. Um, the second thing is that this parable paints a very graphic contrast. And don't miss this point. A very graphic contrast between an unjust judge who doesn't care for anybody and God. And we mustn't make the mistake that somehow we, when we pray to God, we're praying to somebody who is an unjust judge. The parable's not saying that. It's setting up an extreme contrast. Uh, it's very black and white that what we see of one, we should not see of the other. Uh, and so, and, and if, if that's not clear, just look at the passage in verse 4. It says, where the unjust judge says, even though I don't fear God. So clearly we're not talking about She's not painting a character here who is a proxy for God. This is the opposite of God. The third, third thing to notice before we get started is this is a parable. And Jesus has told us elsewhere in the Gospels that he teaches his disciples plainly, in plain language. And he only uses parables for those who are not part of his kingdom. So here he deviates very graphically to use a parable to teach the, his own disciples something. Okay, that's the background. Let's get into it because Jesus then tells us how to unlock this parable. And he says in verse 6, listen to what the unjust judge says. And we're going to find that the unjust judge leads us into three questions three topics, each of which begin with P. And the first P is, some of the P's are preposterous. I force-fitted them. So the first, <laughs> we'll get on to the first one. But he says three things. And Jesus asks three rhetorical questions alongside these three things. The first point then is, be presumptuous. The Bible uses the word confident, so... I've twisted it slightly to make it a P. And the, the, just, the judge says, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, I will see that she, the widow who keeps coming to him, I will see that she gets justice. And alongside that, Jesus asks this question, verse 7, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? He says something similar earlier in the book of Luke. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So he contrasts the unjust judge saying, even though I don't care, I will give this widow what she wants. Jesus says earlier, even though you are and he says evil, but by contrast to God, we are evil. You give good gifts to your children. 
And furthermore, Jesus says we should be confident and presumptuous in our prayer because he says in John 14, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So we can be confident and presumptuous in our prayers. Um, by way of illustration, um, a friend of mine, John, and, and some of you might have heard this story before. A friend of mine, John, his granddaughter was very ill from birth with a kidney disease, affected both kidneys, uh, and she was very, very sick. It had multiple uh, diagnoses and uh, operations and treatments, but she was not getting better. In fact, she was dying. And John prayed and prayed and prayed uh, and got others to pray with him, and nothing seemed to happen. Things just got worse until really the final straw was she was taken into hospital for the last time, dying, and they said, we will try just one more thing. Having had multiple scans, multiple operations, we'll try one more thing. And John was praying earnestly at this point, praying for a miracle. And they went in and did some surgery uh, to close up something I'm not entirely sure. You'll have to read, there are plenty of news articles around about this story. They did one final operation. When they went in there to do that final operation, they discovered sitting alongside her failing kidneys, two brand new kidneys that had taken over the function of cleaning up her blood. An absolute miracle. And if you want to look it up, her name is Angel. Uh, and it appeared in all the national newspapers about 12 years ago. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So be presumptuous. Be persistent. The unjust judge again. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. Jesus, um, alongside this, says, and those chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Second rhetorical question, will he keep putting them off? It's said of D.L. Moody, who was a, an evangelist in the 19th century, that he was one of the most persistent prayers uh, in Christendom. It's said of him that he had a list of 100 people during his lifetime who he wanted to believe would come to faith. And at the time of his death, 96 of those people had come to faith and given their lives to Christ. And then at his funeral, the last four people came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So be persistent. Be like the widow bothering the unjust judge. And then finally, or third point actually, be passionate. The unjust judge says this, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. You know, he said already that he's bothered by this woman. Now he's in fear of being attacked by her. Um, my wife and I, and I know quite a number of you, live in, in Pimlico, so you'll be aware that there are quite a lot of um, uh, colorful characters in Pimlico. 
and, uh, and on any given day, um, you can hear people calling out, um, uh, shouting out uh, their complaints, their rantings. I can see people nodding um, who live down in Pimlico. People sounding off uh, about all sorts of things. Uh, and um, yeah, I know that's pretty, we get pretty used to that. But I heard a story recently. We were away, apparently, but in our street, apparently, somebody was calling out. A young lady was calling out. And apparently, everybody in the street rushed out to help her because it was quite obvious even though we're used to people calling out and ranting and raving and sounding off there was something different about this cry and indeed this I'm not sure of the circumstances I think this young lady was being mugged or had been mugged she cro cried out and and the street was uh, street was celebrating afterwards that they'd all been so neighborly and rushed out to help her one can tell the difference between a non-earnest sounding off and a ranting and a real cry for help. David prays in the Psalms and the, the book of Psalms is effectively a prayer book as well as a songbook. And he says things like, as for me, Psalm 55, I call to God and the Lord saves me. And we, when we read the Psalms, we often will substitute words for prayer. So when it says, I call to God, we'll say, oh, I pray to God. But in that particular psalm, the word there is a Hebrew word, para. Uh, it's a verb. We translated it, cried. But the idea of that verb is to be accosting a person. You see where I'm going with this? Because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me the word the word is often translated prayer the word is actually quara cried called and the idea is of costing a person quite a number of other words in the psalms are translated prayer or call and i'll just run through a few of them evening morning and noon i cry out in distress Sirah means to complain. Hama means a loud murmuring, growling, and roaring. Psalm 18, I call to the Lord, Shava, a high-pitched scream call for help. Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him. Boa, a help or a tumultuous or cry in a tumultuous way, used of the um, used in the story of Cain and Abel when it says the blood cried out from the ground. Psalm 134, cry out. Sazak, sorry for the pronunciation, means shriek. Psalm 61, hear my cry, O God. Rinna, a, a ringing or a sh shrill sound. And finally, listen to my prayer to Pillar, which is translated prayer. So... Of all of those words that we often think are mean prayer, they actually are hugely passionate cries for help, like that young lady in our street. There is no mistaking the difference between a murmuring and a complaint and a cry for help. Charles Spurgeon said this, he who prays without fervency 
does not pray at all. We cannot commune with God who is a consuming fire if there is no fire in our prayers. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child. As I lay me down to sleep, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. Now, we don't despise those quiet prayers. But sometimes, I believe that we need to cry out to God. Sometimes I believe God puts off, us off for a time until in our desperation, we cry out to him. Listen to Spurgeon again. He says, God-fearing men and women desire supplies for their needs, help under the burdens, guidance in perplexity, deliverance in distress. And sometimes this desire is so strong that their case so pressing, they cry out in agony like little children in pain. And then the Lord works most comprehensively and does all that is needful according to this word, I will hear their cry and I will save them. Please don't judge me uh, when I give you this example, a, a fairly lighthearted story. But uh, some years ago, um, my wife and I bought a puppy. Many of you will know our dog, Frank. He was a puppy. And we bought the puppy to give to my mother-in-law. And, um, you know, she had just recently lost her husband, and she'd also lost her little dog as well. Uh, and we just wanted to give her a dog. But she's aged, and she didn't feel like she could have a puppy herself and house train it and do all those things. So we decided we would buy a puppy, and we would house train it, and then pass it on to my mother-in-law. Well, uh, Mary Luce is here, so she will attest to this. The first week we got the puppy, which wasn't house trained, she cried and cried and cried. My wife had not really grown up with dogs, and, and it was a difficulty for her to see the house in such disarray and a mess. But over the weeks, we house trained him and did a little bit of training with him. He wasn't fully trained, but, you know, we began to get attached to him. And I thought, oh, you know, we're going to have to pass him on at some point, even though he's not fully trained. We've got to pass him on, otherwise he's going to get attached to us and we're going to get attached to him. So I said to Mary Lewis, okay, it's time. It's time we passed him on to mother-in-law. And, uh, and so Mary Lewis started crying again this, for another week, this time because she didn't want to give up the dog. And I took Frank down to my mother-in-law and, and I'd arranged to stay a couple of nights to, to sort of do a handover and uh, start off by saying, look, he's not fully trained yet, so you need to do this and that and this and that. And my mother-in-law, who's a very strong-willed woman, said, I'm not doing any of that. He'll just have to look after himself and I'm going to go out and do what I want and he's going to have to look after himself. And anybody who knows our Frank knows that was never going to work with him. And so I was, I was absolutely stuck and shocked, and I didn't know what to do. On the one hand, I'm, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. I can't take the dog home anymore. He's going to get even more attached. And here's my mother-in-law won't train him and look after him. I didn't know what to do. I went to bed that night absolutely perplexed, 
couldn't figure it out. So much so that I fell asleep for a few hours. But in the middle of the night, I woke up again in a, in a dead sweat. And I just didn't know what to do. And in that moment, and you know how things are in the middle of the night, when it, everything just seems bigger than it should be, I just cried out to God. I said, God, I don't know what to do. What can I do? And I really cried out, like that young lady in our street. It was, it was earnest. It was, it was heartfelt. And then I, having prayed like that, I thought, well, I'd better go back to the sleep. And uh, as I often do if I wake up in the night, I thought, I, re I reached for a book. I thought, let me reach for a book and try to read a bit in order to go to sleep. And that's what I did. Um, sleep didn't come easily, so I read a few pages. And then I got to this page. And this is, um, this is the book I picked up off my, my um, brother-in-law's shelf. And it says this. I won't try and give you the background story. I know that, said Marcia, rather crossly. But the point is that you could have a temporary dog. Hello? Let me explain. I was catering for a dinner party in Highgate the other night. They have this dog, you see. Odd sort of creature. A mongrel, I'd say. But he said it was a Pimlico Terrier. Hello? I sat up. Now there's a coincidence. That's what I was thinking. You live, you live in Pimlico. Have you ever heard of a Pimlico Terrier? No, neither have I. Anyway, he said that they liked this dog, but they wished they had some sort of dog sharing arrangement. He said that they had friends who had set up an arrangement like that. The dog was shared between two households. Oh my goodness. There, having cried out to God, instantly I was provided with a solution. And that is what we did. We shared Frank with my mother-in-law for a while. And it didn't fully work out, in, but it, it lasted long enough that we were able to get her another dog uh, that she could have. One a bit more sensible than our Frank. Those chosen ones, said Jesus, who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Now, I just want to stay on this subject of being passionate for a while because, you know, when I was a new Christian, um, I didn't grow up in a conventional church. A whole bunch of young people like me, we came to know Jesus and we were in this crazy, wild fellowship. And, uh, and I used to, um, yeah, so we, it was, was no, we didn't have no conventional church background, any of us. But as I uh, grew up, I became a Christian about the age of 13, and then I left home 18 to go to university, and I came here to London. And uh, I was part of the CU for a little while, um, and we went away on a house party. And I remember the house party, they said, right, between seven and eight, we'll just leave you alone. You know, the program won't start till eight o'clock because you, we'll let you have your quiet time. What's a quiet time? Quiet time. And I, I thought about it for a while. And then I, I actually had to ask somebody, sorry, what is a quiet time? And, um, and so they told me. 
Now, the background to this is, I'd never been told how to pray, but our house was on a beach, and the beach stretched for about a mile one direction and two miles in the other direction, and I used to take the dog out at about 5.30 in the morning, and we'd walk a couple of miles in one direction and walk a couple of miles back, and that's when I would pray. And if you've ever been to Hartlepool, where I grew up, the wind howls off the sea, the sand swirls around, and you know, it, often I was in the pitch black, and I learned to pray on the beach, which was shouting out, trying to shout down the waves and the wind. That's what I thought prayer was. I'd never heard of quiet time. I didn't realize that prayer could or should be quiet. And really, that's what I think is happening here with David. If you go through the Psalms, there is no sense of quiet. There is a sense when God answers him. It's a sense of crying out, calling out in extremes. So, how do I do it now? Well, when I get to those places where I need to call out to God, what I do is, because you can't do this in the middle of London, well, I'll tell you a couple of places. One, I jump in the car and I drive along and sometimes I turn the music up high so people around, even in traffic, can't hear me. And then I shout out my prayers to God. Or, top tip, if you stand in the middle of the bridges, so we're near Chelsea Bridge, if you stand in the middle of the bridges, the, the wind howls down the, the river, and also you look one direction, you'll see people coming up the bridge and the other direction, and there you can shout as loud as you like. Obviously, you know, if people are coming, don't shout. But that's where you can be noisy if you need to make your complaints to God. So just in closing then, be presumptuous in prayer. God is willing. Be persistent. Don't give up. That's what this parable is about. And be passionate. Finally, Jesus' third rhetorical question was, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This seems to be out of context, but actually, if we just go before this parable, he has been talking about the return of uh, himself to the earth, the return of the judge. And of course, he will come not as an unrighteous judge, but as the righteous judge. Will he come, when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? And just as the answer to every other rhetorical question has been yes, we pray that the answer to this is yes as well. And especially if we are presumptuous, persistent, and passionate in our prayer, we will see the kingdom come. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Seems a good cue for me to mention something that we're launching here at St. Mike's called Prayer Pods. I wonder if, we, is it possible you can find a slide that you can put up? There we are. Um, it, it's, it's very encouraging, isn't it, to pray with other people. One of the ways I think I've learned most about prayer is actually to be in the company of praying people. And one of the things we discovered during lockdown, really, was that Zoom is not great for many things, but it is great for prayer. And we're launching this idea of little prayer pods, which are going to be basically 
groups of, of, with a nucleus of three people. I, if you scan that scan thing, it will take you to a page on the St. Michael's website. There's a very subtle um, password that you need. It's prayer, <laughs> all in lowercase. And it's explained there, but basically, you, if you log on to the St. Mike's website, you look at the prayer pods, you can sign yourself up to join a number of these different pods which are happening at different times throughout each week. And um, you can rather spontaneously just go on and, and see, oh yes, that's a time when I would like to join others in prayer. And I just commend that to you so that you too can be part of what's going on. We're going to spend some time in, in worship now, but one of the things that's really important is that we don't just hear a message and disappear. We actually turn it into some kind of action. And I think it'd just be worth us just waiting on the Lord just quietly um, to ask ourselves about how we're going to turn that message into action in our own lives. And if there was one thing I would stress, it's the very first thing that Jesus said before telling this parable. He told this parable to the disciples so they should always pray and never give up or always pray and never lose heart. So the question is, when are we going to pray this week? I, I wouldn't be surprised if many of us just need encouragement to get back to praying in earnest. So I'm just going to spend a moment of quiet just waiting on the Lord where each of us can think about the week that's coming up and things that we could pray about and times that we could pray. Let's just reflect on that in God's company. During this time of, of worship, I want to encourage you, if you've been praying about something and you pretty much have given up praying about that particular thing, that you might come forward for prayer and ask someone to pray with you about it again. It is very tiring going on praying for the same thing over and over and over again. And uh, most of us will have had the experience of letting our prayer lapse uh, almost out of exhaustion. And uh, the reminder tonight is we shouldn't give up on God answering that prayer. We should stir ourselves and, and maybe others can help us to keep praying. Just to say, you know, this is something I really care about, but I've nearly stopped praying about it. And ask one of the prayer ministry teams to pray with you. Now I say one of the prayer ministry teams, I'm not absolutely confident we have many prayer ministry teams here. So if, you're, if you'd like to pray with others tonight, and you've done it before, would you make your way under the balcony over there when the worship begins? And then anyone who wants prayer will know we do have a team. Thanks very much. Stay in that moment of reflection.